Welcome to the Well-Bred Rapids Message of the Week. We hope you are encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Max Johnson. I love being with you all. I love being, I love you too. I love being connected to the families that are here. Um, I am more convinced today than yesterday that I'm right in the middle of exactly where I'm supposed to be. And uh, I believe that I'm called for revival, for reformation, for uh, um, an obvious testimony of the glory of King Jesus. I don't want, I have zero interest in a little bit of maybe, maybe God's good. I want my whole life to scream, Jesus is King, and He's amazing, and He's real, and He's alive. And I believe that that's why we're all together, because you all have that same call. We, have a, we all have a unique call. You know, in worship, I was, um, I was reminded of the 3,000, I went to 300. The 70 disciples with Jesus... He starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and it dwindles down to 12. And uh, Jesus says, you know, you guys going to leave me too? And Peter's response is, where are we going to go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. We're here forever. The 500 that started out in the upper room in Acts dwindled away to 120 before the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The first time literal flames of fire were visibly seen on top of people's heads. And there was such a move of God that the city, the entire city heard the gospel preached in one afternoon. There's things that happen before a great victory of God's people in war. Before the twelve were called and anointed apostles and released into the earth to change the entire planet. Do you understand that's the church's commission? That's our job. We're not here to attend Sunday, to be good people. We're here to change the world. Before they received that call, their numbers dwindled. I, I want to I encourage us that when it looks like in the natural things are getting worse, it's actually a testimony in the heavenlies that there is about to be an outpouring of something so wonderful, such increase in the glory and the presence of God, that he wants to limit it to those that will, only, that will faithfully steward it. This is, not, um, this is not me optimistically sharing about a church that has less people in it this year than last year. This is a biblical pattern. This is something that constantly happens. Because God in his mercy, he's a good God. He doesn't pour out everything that he wants to pour out on everyone. He pours it out on those that can faithfully steward it. He gives to each, it's the parable of the talents, he gives to each according to their ability. It would be a dysfunctional father to give more than what the sons or daughters could handle. And so he wants to give us what we can handle. And I'm encouraged by that. Got a lot to share about in a little bit of time. 
my mind was flooded with testimonies during worship. I'm going to share out of Ephesians 2 um, through the end of the chapter, starting at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. You know, I met a... Um, I saw a baby again this morning that's been raised by the, from the dead. <laughs> he's here. He's in, the, he's in the building. He's alive and well. He once was dead and now he's alive. And I think he's like three. How old is he? He's one. I was, was close. <laughs> he looks older than that. Maybe... That's a really big deal. And I don't need a response from you. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining and I'm remembering. It's so easy to just forget the chaos of heaven breaking out. Like, it's, it's just easy for life to get normal. You know, I, was, I remember being um, like a year old in the Lord and, and I just moved out and... Uh, I was living on my own, and I started to do my bills, and it was the first time that I, I had gotten out of jail, and I was living on my own. My, my, my money didn't meet my bills, and uh, I had my checkbook out, and you know, you at that point, I had like four bills, so it was pretty easy to <laughs> uh, figure it out. I'm like, well, I definitely don't have enough money, and I went to bed that night, and my prayer was, God, I don't, I don't have any money, and you told me to move out. You told me to live here. You told me to do all this stuff. And I don't have any money, so you're going to have to do something. Because I'm working where you told me to work. I'm not being wild or crazy with my money. And I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning, and I had $500 more in my bank account than I did the night before. I called my mom first, and I said, hey, mom, what did you do? She said, what do you mean? She swore, and she swore by God, you know, which is, she doesn't do that. So she didn't do it. It wasn't my mom taking care of me. I called the bank. I said, hey, there's a mistake. I was just looking at my account last night, and I have all this money in there right now that wasn't in there last night, and it's not my money. And they said, I don't know what to tell you, sir. I'm sorry, that's your money. (laughs) And I said, okay. And all my bills were met that month. I came into service. This is probably eight years ago. I had pneumonia. We were living with uh, somebody that had pneumonia and I got super sick and I'm driving around and I'm angry and I'm frustrated because I'm not supposed to be sick. And uh, I'm telling my wife, I'm just going to go home. You can go to church. I'm going home. I'm going to bed. I'm sick of this. And my wife said, you know how you always tell people when you don't want to go to church, that's probably when you should go to church. And I said, you should shut up because I want to go home and go to bed. <laughs> and she said, okay. And then she got quiet, and because uh, she knows how to trust God. And I said, fine, I'll go to church. So I went to church, and we're worshiping, and I'm not in a good mood. I'm not happy. I don't want to be there. I'm worshiping God because I'm supposed to. And that, you know, that was like, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Yep, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah, God. And all I could think about was going to bed, and I, Pastor Kathy was preaching, and she was talking about Reinhard Bonnke and all these stories. And faith hit me. Anybody else had faith hit you? Because it's a gift. It's not something you stir up. You don't run after it. It's a gift. 
faith hit me and suddenly I knew if she touches me, I'm healed. I don't know how, it was a story she was telling. It had nothing to do with pneumonia or healing, but faith hit me and I said, if she just touch me, I know I'll get healed. And thank God she heard the Lord too and she gave a call for prayer and I, I walked right up. I said, touch me. She touched me. All my symptoms were immediately gone. And they never came back. We have people in here who have had concussions healed. The dead have been raised. Our first mortgage got paid off. I owed about 30000 Is this? I don't care if it's okay. This is what's in my heart. Our first mortgage got paid off. I, uh, we owed about $30,000 on our first house. And I said, God, I'm so tired. I, I got the first mortgage statement. You know where the year end and it tells you how much you've paid in interest? Now, I don't have any money and I'm always broke. And I looked at that number and it was like $11,000 or something, which was more than I would ever think I would ever have in my life at that time. And I looked and I said, I've given the bank this much money? I don't even give God this much money. I, and I got mad. And I said, God, you got to do something about this. If you'll pay my mortgage off, I'll, put it, I'll, I'll use it for your kingdom. Pay my mortgage off. Over the next three or four months, about every day or every two days, I had people walk up and shake my hand and hand me money. I was a waiter. I waited tables. People, that's when I started getting $30, $50, $120 tips. I'd never had that before in my life. It started happening all the time. Complete strangers would walk up to me, shake my hand and walk away and leave me with a wad of cash in my hand. Over three or four months, we were given, no, we owed $24,000. I told God, I'll up my giving from 10%, which is the bare minimum for all you starter Christians. I said, I'll, I'll double it. <laughs> if you're only given 10%, this is not shame driven. You're only giving what is expected. If you want to get into the favor of God, you don't buy his favor None of that is real. I'm not doing the prosperity gospel where if you shout from the rooftops, you'll get a Ferrari. But if you want to be like God, he always gives more than what is expected. And I am on a mission to become like Jesus. I don't have any other interests in my life. I want to be like Jesus. And he never gave just enough. When he multiplied the food, there's always too much because he knows how to party. And so I say, God, I'll give more. And uh, so we doubled our, I doubled my giving. And that meant I was given $30,000, which was enough to give 20%, and the remaining 80% was enough to completely pay off my mortgage. In three or four months, it was paid off. It was a miracle. And this is the God that we serve. Do you, God is in the room. Jesus Christ himself is in the room right now. Anything is possible right now. It doesn't matter what the need is. And it doesn't matter if you came here to get the need met. It doesn't matter if you believe. It doesn't matter if you've been good enough. It doesn't matter if you looked at porn last night. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is a father in heaven who loves the hell out of you, even if you are clinging to that hell. He will fight on your behalf. He is awesome. All right, let's fly through Ephesians because I have two points I want to make. Verse 11, remember, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh 
who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. This is talking about Jews and Gentiles. This whole passage I'm going to read is Paul is referencing Jews and Gentiles and how separate they were in society. They were a people group that hated each other. There was animosity. There was judgment. There was religious superiority. There was the Gentiles who thought these Jews are weird, man. They keep killing these sheep, you know, over and over. They, you, know, you know, they got all these weird customs and rituals, and they were living together under Roman rule. You who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The first thought I had was you're going to have to press through the labels that are put on you even labels that are put on you by those representing God. There are always going to be people that call you something other than what God says that you are. That's never going to stop. And God is delivering his people from codependency. He's delivering us from a need for for human affirmation, for public attention. And we're going to get so rooted in what our Father says about us that you can literally walk into any environment, anywhere, anytime, and know who you are. Say, I want that. Ah, say I want it. What would it be like in your life if you could walk anywhere confidently knowing God is with you? You could actually bump into impossible situations day after day and never feel nervous because you know you can't fix that problem. Never be aware of your own inadequacy, but constantly be aware of the God that is with you and anything is possible. Where is Clem? Because I don't, all I saw was a sling and she needs to be healed. What happened to her? What happened to her arm? Is it still out? I'll find her. She needs to be healed. The doctor told you what? Okay. I love UFC and I watched a video of a guy who threw his shoulder out fighting and his opponent came over and yanked it back into place for him so they could keep fighting. It was so cool. (laughs) Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is a letter that Paul writes to New Testament believers. He knows their new creations. He knows that they are not what they were. They're not sinners, but he still tells them to remember. It starts with, therefore, remember. In verse 11, remember that at one time you were without Christ. Remember that you were aliens from the benefit of being God's people. Remember that you were strangers to promise. I don't know if you've ever done this lately, but if you've ever sat back and just remembered what life was like without Jesus, if you felt like the fire on your heart went dim, take 10 minutes and remember what it was like before you knew him. Remember what it's like to have no hope being without God in this world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near. You didn't bring yourself near. I have felt it in my own life at times, this It's a religious superiority where you feel like, well, I obey God and uh, (laughs) that's why all these great, wonderful things are happening in my life. I actually think part of that's true. But it's important to remember, 
I'm obeying God because he brought me near. He actually conquered my heart and gave me this thing inside that says, all I want is to please Jesus. All I want is to be like Jesus. It's like the best recipe for life. If you aim at being like Jesus, it's impossible for you to be disappointed. Because when people betray you, it's just me being like Jesus. It's another opportunity for me to be like him. It's another opportunity. You know, one of my favorite memes I've ever seen was, uh, you'll know the love of Christ when you can sit across the table with your Judas. You know, he doesn't just love people that love him back. (laughs) He loves Judas, who the whole time he knows is going to betray him. Who knows the whole time that guy's stealing from the ministry. I just want to be like Jesus, man. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Does that picture work of the temple? Okay. Picture a temple. It's a rectangle. It's got walls all the way around it. There was a fence around the temple that when... Rome conquered Jerusalem. King Herod actually added on to the temple. Originally, it's about the size of a football field. When Herod comes along, a pagan king, he extends the temple and he builds out to where it's about 10 football fields big. So around the original temple is a fence. Does this make sense? Then there's 10 times more space. That 10 times more space is called the court of the Gentiles. It was an area and that, it w- that was as far as the Gentiles were allowed to come into the temple because they were considered unclean under Jewish law. They couldn't pass through this fence. On this fence, they put signs or carved in stone um, that anybody that crosses this line is inviting their own death upon them. We're going to kill you if you come through here because you're not clean. And it was written in Greek. It wasn't ru- written in Hebrew. So when Paul says, he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, the middle wall of separation is that wall, that he, that's what he's talking about. The thing that separated Jew and Gentile. This middle wall of separation was a fence around the Jewish temple. It was adorned with signs. Verse 14, it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, speaking of Jew and Gentile, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He has, this is me talking, not the Bible. He has created one new man, the new breed or a new race of people whose only commonality is that they are washed by the blood of Jesus. Early Christians called themselves a new race, or a third race. They actually thought of themselves as new creation. Chrysodom is a third century church father. The way that he wrote about this union of the Jew and the Gentile, he said, It is not that Christ has brought one, wow, it is not that Christ has brought one up to the level of the other, but that he has produced a greater. As if one should melt down one statue of silver and another of lead, and the two together should come out gold. 
we don't have in our world right now, in American Western culture, we don't understand what it's like to hate Jews or to be hated by Jews. But there is a lot of social separation and distinction happening in our day. Everybody's trying to cut us up into pieces, whether it's racial, religious, economic, political, especially right now. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says it is illegal for you to have hate towards anyone. It is illegal. If you are going to pass through the blood of Jesus and say you hate Democrats, you do not understand the gospel. It is the one, it's the bottleneck of society. We all come through the same gate. And for us to understand the power of the blood of Jesus, that it actually washes us clean from all of our sin, from all of our failure, from all of our imperfections, we have to understand that it does the same for everyone else too. It's not right or okay or at all permissible to think you're forgiven, but they still have to deal with their stuff. I'm forgiven, but God judges those that think whatever you think different about. And we need to be leaders of this in society. If you don't have friends that think different than you, listen, I'm, I'm pushing on this. Not, it's one thing to say, well, I don't hate them. I'm not racist. Do you actually have friends that are black? Do you actually spend time investing in cultures or lives that are different than yours? Do you hang out with Democrats, people that would vote? I mean, I'm talking to a mostly Republican church. I know there's Democrats in here, but I'm emphasizing one because of the people I'm talking to. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe y'all are Democratic. Love some y'all, love some Republicans, some gun-toting American flag truck-driving Republicans. We are not leaders in this if we don't have interconnected lives. And it doesn't happen on accident. Do you have friends that are unbelievers? Do you actually, like on a regular basis, connect with people that don't just say, Amen, hallelujah, brother. Holy Ghost. Like if you talked like that around them, they would think you're crazy. You should have friends like that because they will help keep you normal. When you get this look, it's good for us. So God is raising up a mature bride who is actually capable of being confident, standing solid in what we believe, in who we are. You know, I go, that's why one of the reasons I think God had me join jujitsu. I hang out with a bunch of these new agey, weed smoking dudes. And they don't talk like me. And they get hurt and I say, hey, I'm a Christian. Like, I can fix that for you. And they go, what? (laughs) What are you talking about, dude? Like, it's good for you to practice this stuff outside the church. If you've never done it, it's actually easier to see God move outside of Sunday than it is here. Miracles, you just... You just drop the name of Jesus out there. He is right on it. In here, it feels a little bit trickier sometimes. I don't want to limit the expectation. But it's way easier out there. It's scarier out there. You got to press through the insecurity a little bit more. 
Dang it. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. They all received the same gospel of peace. Those who were, those who were far, Gentiles, and those who were near, we all got the same message. Okay, this is, this is the main thing. Verse 18, For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That word access, I don't know how to say it in Greek, but it's prosagogi, prosagog. It's actually a word that is used to describe a person who would come and greet someone entering a palace and then lead them to meet the king. I'm going to say prosagogi confidently because you don't know what I'm supposed to say either. A prosagogi would meet you if you're coming to visit, you know, the throne room or whatever. They would meet you and they would take you to meet the king. For through Jesus, we both have introduction, is what it could be translated. We both have introduction by one spirit to the Father. Some of you just need to say, I have a father. Hmm. I've got a daddy. Say it. I've got a daddy. It doesn't matter if you feel it. Jesus Christ came to introduce you to the Father. Came to introduce us to the Father. It's why in John 14, Jesus said stuff like this to Philip. He said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? For who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? One of Jesus' main missions was to come and introduce us to Daddy. I want to encourage you, this would be my challenge this week, read the Gospels and recognize that Jesus Christ is standing as a Father in every single interaction that He has. It'll change the way that you read stories like the woman caught in adultery. This one popped into my head yesterday. A woman is caught in the act of adultery. You've got religious leaders who drag her out of bed, throw her in the middle of the street, create a crowd, draw a whole bunch of attention, and start declaring, we're going to kill her. Because <laughs> we're allowed to under Jewish law. I started daydreaming yesterday of Jesus as a dad. What would that feel like? And now I have a part of me that when I see women... Uh, being abused or hurt or mistreated in some capacity, especially young women, girls, kids, there's a part of me that turns on that I don't have to try to turn on. Like, it's not a button I try to flip. It's a thing in me that wants to kill everything that would hurt them. And it's part of being made in the image of God. <laughs> It's part of the masculine side of God. We fight, we protect, we're hardwired for this. You don't have to teach it to kids. They want to kill everything that would hurt stuff they care about. And I was picturing Jesus having that moment. He's felt everything we feel. What would a father feel watching his daughter get dragged out of a room, thrown in front of a crowd, guilt and shamed, and then they're going to publicly execute her? 
It's the first time I've thought maybe that's why he got real quiet, stooped down and wrote something in the sand because he's remembering, you know, before I came down here, I promised my dad I wouldn't kill anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're talking about God, the Lord of hosts. That means the captain of the angel armies. He says he could have called down a legion of armies. They were a legion of angels who was always at his disposal. I mean, he's the guy that can probably shoot lightning bolt out of his fingertips if he wants. He could have done anything in that moment to protect her. He could have done the disappear in the crowd thing. You know, when they try to throw him off the cliff and he walks right through him. He could have just walked in and grabbed her, whisked her away to safety. It's the first time I've seen it last night. He did what he did because he wasn't just interested in protecting her from harm. He did what he did. What what did he do? He said, he crouches down, he writes in the sand, and then he stands up and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says that they went away one at a time, starting from the oldest to the youngest. Because he wasn't just interested in protecting her from harm. He wasn't just interested in shepherd or sheltering her from shame. He wanted her to be able to walk around those streets tomorrow with her head held high. So he made a statement where he said stuff like, don't you dare judge and damn my daughter. Y'all got issues. Look at your sin. And in one sentence, he restored that woman to where she could walk freely around the streets of Jerusalem tomorrow. When God comes to heal us, he doesn't just save you. He wants to keep you from shame. He wants to completely restore your identity. He heals the whole man. That's the 10 lepers thing. He heals 10 of them of leprosy, only nine of them Only one of them comes back and his response is, where are the nine? You got healed. You got made whole, guy. The guy who came back. Nine of them got physically healed. Only one of them was made whole. Some of you have settled with God that saves. He's bigger than that. He doesn't just protect you. He is on a mission to reframe your entire life to where you walk around as a righteous, beloved, accepted, celebrated son and daughter of the king. That is the mission that he's after, where you have your head held high, not because you're perfect or good, but because you're convinced that is his opinion of you. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There's a lot in there, but you belong somewhere. You are being built into a specific location with intentional purpose. And you belong somewhere. I believe if God called you here, this is a community you belong in. You are actually handpicked. You know, when they would make stones to put in the temple, there was a lot of work that went into making the stone right before it found its place. Anybody else feel like that? 
like all of the work goes into re- reworking your whole world before you actually find where you belong. I just want to tell you that's okay if you feel like you're under construction, if he's chipping pieces away, stuff that makes you feel like you don't fit, you're right where you're supposed to be. And then I want to read this. This is from a, this is from a Jewish play. And then I'm done. The Lord wants to restore value to his church. Value and honor to his church. I think we've gotten kind of accustomed to talking about that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we've, you don't really understand what that means. The living God doesn't just live inside you. It says that we are the temple. We collectively are the temple. We collectively are stones that are being built, built together Being built together, verse 22 says, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're being built into a people that God feels home in. This is a place. This collectively represents a place in our relationships and interactions with each other. Not just on Sunday. I would say not even primarily on Sunday. As we live together in community, we are becoming a place where God lives. That should blow your brain up. The living God lives inside of us. We host him. It's why miracles happen here. It's why restoration happens here. It's why the dead are brought to life. It's why those that have no spiritual eyes are given eyes. It's why there's vision and purpose and, and, uh, and genuine anointing and calling being released because we are the temple collectively. So this is from this Jewish play. And what he's talking about is the reality of what would happen on the Day of Atonement where the high priest would go into the temple and make an offering for the people of Israel one time a year. A remarkable monologue by a Hasidic rabbi in the Yiddish play called something conveys a sense of what the Jewish throngs worshiping at the temple must have experienced during the ceremony. God's world is great and holy. The holiest land in the world is the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, the holiest city is Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the holiest place was the temple. And in the temple, the holiest spot was the Holy of Holies. There are 70 peoples in the world. The holiest among these is the people of Israel. The holiest of the people of Israel is the tribe of Levi. In the tribe of Levi, the holiest are the priests. And among the priests, the holiest was the high priest. There are 354 days in the lunar year. Among these, the holidays are holy. Higher than these is the holiness of the Sabbath. And among Sabbaths, the holiest is the Day of Atonement. The Sabbath of Sabbaths. There are 70 languages in the world. The holiest is Hebrew. Holier than all else is the language in the Holy Torah. And in the Holy Torah, the holiest part is the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, the holiest of all words is the name of God. And once a year, at the certain hour, these four supreme sanctities of the world were joined with one another. That was on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and, where the, and, uttered, and there uttered the name of God. That was on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and there utter the name of God. 
And because this hour was beyond measure, holy and awesome, it was the time of utmost peril for not only the high priest, but for the whole of Israel. For if in this hour there had, God forbid, entered the mind of the high priest a false or sinful thought, the entire world would have been destroyed. That holiness that struck men dead, they would tie a belt around the high priest, a rope around the high priest, in case he entered the presence of God and died, they could drag him out. Because they know if they go in after him, they die too. That holiness is sitting next to you in your neighbor. And I think we're starting to miss that. That God lives inside the person sitting next to you, lives inside your children, lives inside your parents if they know the Lord. And the Lord wants to release a fresh wave of honor, a fresh value for one another, not because of our giftings or what we can perform for one another primarily, but because of the God that lives inside of us. How would you treat people around you if you saw Jesus inside every one of them? So I'm going to pray that God would give us those eyes. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies of everything that you've done in our past and that it it creates a confidence that you'll be faithful in our future. We know we can trust you with everything. And right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just awaken in our imaginations a wonder and an awe for the the reality that you live inside of each, each one of us. Lord, that you would let us treat each other as uh, God's house. Not with fake, you know, respect or, or um, we don't need to talk it up or, but just let it be a sincere value, a sincere honor for one another. That the world would know we're your disciples by the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.